Sometimes it seems very hard to improve on the silence. This morning, I was looking through the questions in the bowl. And one of those questions struck me. And uh, my talk is something of a response to the question, to a question about what, what is wisdom? What is the nature of, the wis- of wisdom? We can have knowledge and wisdom about many things. And yet the wisdom that the Buddha offered is fairly specific. It's not the wisdom about everything we could possibly know about how to cook or drive a car, program a computer. But it's the wisdom about understanding suffering, understanding how our minds are caught, how we suffer, why we suffer, And ultimately, this wisdom that the Buddha offers becomes not just something that we learn or hear about, but actually becomes understood in our system. And that wisdom is what frees us Wisdom in understanding what suffering is, how it functions. That understanding allows the suffering to release. My teacher, Saito Utejaniya, uses this word wisdom more than just about any other teacher that I had practiced with. And he used it Uh, as an activity. He spoke about wisdom doing things. Wisdom acts. Wisdom, Wisdom understands this. And it is an activity. It's in the terrain, in the five aggregates, it's in the terrain of mental formation. It's an activity of mind. And much as other mental formations, other activities of mind, impel us in particular directions. And so anger impels us in particular directions. Confusion impels us in particular directions. There's, there's an activity that, and we can see this. We can see the, these uh, forces arising in the mind and creating and shaping our minds and and impelling action that follows from those activities. Love is an activity of mind that shapes our mind. And so is wisdom. When I heard Saida Utejaniya talking about this word, using this word, initially I, I thought of it as something kind of that was out there. You know, it was some big grand thing and I, would, I was sure I would know it when it hit. But in my own exploration of this, 
I've seen that wisdom actually shows up in some small ways that we might not even consciously notice unless it's kind of pointed out to us. And so my understanding of wisdom began to be more of a process at work in the mind, just as other mental formations are sometimes weaker or stronger, so too wisdom is sometimes uh, functioning in very small, almost imperceptible ways, and sometimes in very obvious ways. And Saito also says, Saito Utejaniya also says that the purpose of our practice, the whole motivation, the whole kind of aim or direction of our practice is to cultivate, cultivate this wisdom, cultivate this wisdom that frees the mind from greed, aversion, and delusion, frees the mind from suffering. In the Buddha's teaching, in the, in the Pali Canon, there are a number of kind of classic definitions for, for wisdom. And the first, the first factor of the Eightfold Path, wise view, is a framing of the wisdom that supports us as we orient towards the path. There's a reason why it's at the beginning of the path. We kind of need to know, it's kind of like it lays out the map for us. You know, in the beginning of a journey, we need some kind of a map. And wise view, wise understanding kind of lays out that map for us. It says, the kind of classic definition of wise view is, there is suffering. Suffering arises with the condition of craving. And it's possible to free the mind from this craving, which will free the mind from suffering. And that there is a path. And so the, the, the aspect of the the one aspect of the map is these, these sets of steps. Wise view, wise intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. So we, uh, this kind of lays out the map of where we're going and how we, how we might uh, orient our, our exploration of our minds. This is kind of a map of how to explore our minds to free it from suffering. So that's one kind of classic definition of the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths kind of defines the, the orientation or the wisdom that we, uh, the, we aim towards. We, we aim towards understanding suffering. This First Noble Truth having an action associated with it, understanding suffering. And that teaching points to um, how does suffering manifest in our minds and it manifests when greed, aversion, and delusion are present. And so this the hidden or kind of embedded, let's say embedded in the Four Noble Truths are an understanding of what states of mind actually move us in the direction of suffering, keep us caught, and what states of mind move us away from suffering. And so this understanding of what is skillful and what is unskillful Jill talked about this over a series of talks, the, the wise efforts, learning what is skillful, learning what is unskillful, cultivating the skillful, abandoning, letting go of the unskillful. This is another aspect of wisdom that we begin to see and understand what in our minds creates suffering. And so this becomes very experiential We, um, through the practice of mindfulness, observe our minds. We observe what's happening in our bodies and our minds. 
And pretty quickly when we turn with a, a kind of perspective and another maybe way to frame wisdom in a very practical sense is, is this uh, curiosity about experience in the present moment as experience in the present moment. I think I said that in the very first talk I gave. This is a, a framing of a perspective for mindfulness. Just curiosity about, oh, this, this is happening right now. What is this? And so something like anger arises or confusion arises or greed arises. And we see, oh, this is the arising of greed. This is what the human experience of greed is. And we begin to directly understand this human experience of greed, this human experience of aversion. This is suffering. This hurts. This does not feel like it's leading to well-being, much to the uh, contradiction of all the stories that aversion and greed tell us, which tell us that this is what's going to make me happy. When we actually come into the experience of those, oh, this is what the experience of the arising of anger is. Our system understands this is not leading to well-being. This is wisdom. This is the experience of wisdom. When the mind understands that directly, it's getting an education. And so this is another aspect of, of uh, wisdom, is understanding the skillful and unskillful. What's skillful, what's unskillful? As, as states like compassion and love arise in our hearts, we feel directly in the moment, as we are aware of them, present with them, we feel how they open our hearts, how they connect us to others, how they lead to well-being. And so again, the mind understands directly, this is skillful. There's no question in the moment, no question in the moment when we're experiencing these states from this perspective of what is this human experience? There's no question. Oh, this is unskillful, this is skillful. Our systems are actually, seem to be designed to help sort this out. This is a great thing, actually. Our, our human organism seems designed to, to show us what suffering is and what not suffering is. And we have been so confused that we haven't been noticing it. We've been caught by our views, our beliefs, our ideas, which have been culturally conditioned, conditioned by being in this human body, not, not having learned about this very simple but very profound tool of looking at experience from this simple perspective. What is this experience? We look at experience more often as how can I, how can I use this to get ahead or where is this leading me? And so this, uh, you know, understanding the skillful and the unskillful, this is another big piece of, of wisdom. And then uh, also understanding causes and conditions. That experience is conditioned, the cause and effect and nature of experience. That was actually another question I pulled out of the bowl. What does this phrase, causes and conditions, mean anyway? And um, yeah, unpack that a little bit. Um, I unpack this kind of by, you know, th 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 this is my unpacking, so take that for what it's worth. Um, conditions for me are the many, everything that's happened up to this point everything that's happened up to this point. That includes all the conditions of weather, all the conditions of health, all the conditions of 
of uh, nature, um, the conditions of culture, the conditions of family. Um, so some of those are, are kind of in the realm of human conditioning, what we call conditioning, such as, you know, how our families are and, and how we learn to treat others and how we're treated on the playground and all of the various ways that, that we uh, affect each other as human beings. That's some of the conditioning. And yet also we are born with a particular body, with genetics, as, as Winnie was talking about, the, uh, the genetics of, of our particular system. And that affects us and it affects our experience. It affects what things are pleasant and unpleasant at times. So for instance, this body has a, a, a very um, a, a, a strong sensitivity to, to bell peppers. And when I get bell peppers, I basically have to spend the next two hours very close to a bathroom. And so... It's, it's a pretty unpleasant experience, you know? So I, that affects my time here. <laughs> I notice that IMS uses a lot of bell peppers. <laughs> so it affects how I choose my meal, you know? I, I do not want to have bell peppers if I'm going to be teaching a Dharma talk. <laughs> this is not a good plan. <laughs> so it, it affects, it affects me. And yet it's not, it's not something, you know, it's not the same kind of conditioning that how my how my parents treated me or or you know you know what my culture infuses my mind with it's more of a physical thing and then and then you know just the conditions of 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 nature you know we uh, our bodies are are made up of stardust Carl Sagan points that out. I don't have the quote with me. Oh, maybe I do, actually. Let's see if I can find this quote. The nitrogen in our DNA, the calcium in our teeth, the iron in our blood, the carbon in our apple pies were made in the interiors of collapsing stars. We are made of star stuff. And so in a very real way, we are also conditioned by the Big Bang. So everything, everything from the beginning of the universe until now is a condition. And so the conditions, and the Buddha talks about the conditions being so vast that we cannot possibly grasp them all with our minds. He said, to try to do so, you'll go mad. So don't try and yet they affect us, conditions affect us, and, and this is an important piece to understand with respect to wisdom that, that experience is conditioned. And it's not personal. It's not personal that I have this reaction to bell peppers. It's just this body, this configuration of nitrogen and calcium and oxygen and is has this effect. That's not personal. And, and it's really uh, a, a useful um, reflection to recognize that so much of our experience is shaped by conditions. And so that's a little bit of what I mean when I use the word conditions. And the causes piece, for myself, I, I think of that more as being kind of in the moment what is happening in the moment for this experience to be arising? The causes piece in my own exploration, in my own uh, understanding of how it's useful to explore the, the cause piece is looking uh, at what's going on in the mind right now that is contributing to this experience. And so in particular, this question around what are the causes that are arising in the mind to create suffering or to create the release of suffering. The Buddha in the second noble truth pointed to craving being what's arising in the mind. That 
leads us in the direction of suffering. Another teaching, the teaching on dependent origination, points to ignorance. And that, you know, the, the whole teaching on dependent origination is a, is a kind of a, a, an exploration of the conditions that give rise to suffering. And the same set of conditions give rise to becoming and selfing. So it's the same process that it's describing there. It's describing these conditions that give rise to suffering. And so in that, for instance, there's uh, links that we talk about quite a bit. You know, we talk about, in particular, the link between feeling and craving and how when uh, pleasant arises in the mind, we tend to like it, we tend to lean towards it, we want it, we want more of it. When something unpleasant arises, we tend to lean away from it. Aversion tends to result. And so those are conditions in the it, those are conditions things things arise that are pleasant or unpleasant those are conditions and then and yet those conditions will not um, necessarily cause craving clinging becoming suffering not necessarily. But if ignorance is present in the mind, my understanding of dependent origination is teaching, when ignorance is arising, feeling leads to craving. Unpleasant leads to aversion. When ignorance is arising in the moment, that's what happens. So that's a cause. That's my understanding of a cause in the moment. Ignorance being a cause. And ignorance being basically not understanding this wisdom. And so here we are back at, what is this wisdom? What is this wisdom? And so when ignorance is present or when wisdom is not present, feeling tends to lead us onward to suffering. That reactivity, that kind of immediate reactivity. In terms of cultivating wisdom, the, there's a, a lovely uh, exploration or teaching around kind of three levels of wisdom. The first, suttamaya panya, panya being the word for wisdom, uh, and sutta being the word for hearing, the suttas. So the wisdom that comes from Listening, hearing, reading, perhaps taking in information. So this is a form, a form of wisdom, and we could say this is the really the wisdom where we start our path. Somebody pointed to, um, I think somebody pointed the uh, in one of the talks about how um, how the Buddha. Um, understood the path on his own. And that's one of the hallmarks of a Buddha, essentially, that they don't need help. They figure it out on their own experience. This path, this wisdom. And yet, the rest of us need help. And so the help is these teachings. And so this is the first, this, again, this is like listening to the map, hearing the teachings taking in the teachings. This is a form of wisdom. Essentially here in the, in, the, in the Dharma Hall and, you know, we're kind of just, we're just kind of steeping in, in the teachings. A retreat like this, we just get steeped in hearing and reflecting on. This is the second kind of uh, wisdom, the wisdom of reflection. Chintamaya Panya. The wisdom of using our thought, using our minds, using our rational capacity of mind to think about the teachings, to reflect on them. How do they make sense? To incorporate thought into our, uh, our system, into our, our practice. And the, th- the third kind of wisdom is the wisdom of direct understanding, bhavana maya panya. 
the wisdom of insight. And so these first two kinds of wisdom, the wisdom of hearing, the wisdom of reflecting, are kind of where we start our practice. You all have a story of the first time you heard the teachings and felt something. It made sense to you in some way. That's, that's, that's wisdom landing in your system. And then there were reflections about it, thoughts about maybe, maybe a kind of intuitive sense of, hmm, this makes sense, or maybe a not so intuitive sense of not self. I don't know about that one. But yeah, this suffering thing, that makes sense to me. And so this is, this is using our, our reflection, you know, thinking about it, reflecting on it, using our minds to support us. And then we begin to practice. So those two kinds of wisdom, the hearing and then the reflecting, kind of lead us or impel us into action. This is the way wisdom acts. At the beginning, it feels like I'm acting. The beginning, that sense of self, still very strong, stays very strong for a long time comes and goes, different kinds of self. And yet certain kinds of senses of self pick up this teaching and this understanding and get interested and and want to act. And yet it really is wisdom impelling that sense of self. There's a, a kind of wisdom that's kind of a part of that action. It may not be so apparent in that in that time, it more feels like I'm thinking about this, I'm doing this. And yet something has entered and is creating the conditions for different choices to be made. And that's wisdom. And so we begin to practice. We begin to explore and start to understand some of these teachings for ourselves. It's no longer just something that we're hearing and thinking about, but it is direct experience. And yet we can often still use these first two kinds of wisdoms even as we're engaged in the active practice. Here on this retreat, sitting in the hall. Greg gave a beautiful description of of sitting and taking in dharma, not with the mind, not with the intellect, not with our usual conception of mind, but but more just almost letting like be be like dharma rain. How does it land? How does it feel? So that's taking in the the, the suttamaya panya. In my own experience, with the practice, uh, especially with Sayadaw Utejaniya, you know, I would go and practice and sit in the interview room with him and I'd describe my experience and, and he would say something to me about some aspect of experience I hadn't noticed. And then I'd go off and I'd try to look for it. I'd go do something with that information. And I'd come back maybe saying, I got a real headache as I tried to, to, to understand awareness itself. He said, were you trying to do that? I said, yeah, I thought that's what you told me to do. <laughs> he said, no, nothing I say is something to do. It's just information. Just do your simple practice. That information goes in and it changes the conditions. You do your simple practice, the conditions are different now. Different things get seen. You don't have to do that. 
What a relief. (laughs) And so that's a way that the Sutta Mayapanya can work in our practice. And I have said this to, to many of you, I mean many of you, this is a refrain I say, you know, I talk about, oh, you might be able to see this or this, and then I say, and don't do it. <laughs> don't try to do it. You know, you might notice it. You might see it. And then there are ways also we can bring in um, chintamaya panya, the, the wisdom of reflection in the midst of our practice. bring in um, kind of wisdom reflections that might help balance the mind when we're caught in something. Sometimes we can, we can, in the midst of being caught in some kind of a storm, we can just remind ourselves, just drop in some kind of wisdom phrase. All right, uh, this is impermanent. It's not going to last. Or this is not me not mine, not who I am. Bringing in a wisdom that we have either heard from teachers, read from, uh, from, our, from, from Dharma books, or sometimes wisdom that we have experienced ourselves already. You, you have noticed, I think, at times that you experience some kind of an insight, an understanding about something where it's, it, it's like, wow, I really see. It doesn't make any sense to cling. It's like, it's all changing. There's like no point in clinging. And then the next hour, <laughs> mind is <laughs> grabbing on. It's like, wait a minute, didn't I learn that? Well, this is the way the mind works. You know, it's, at times wisdom is active. At times wisdom is strong and arising. And we have access to the direct understanding of there's no point in clinging. And then delusion comes back. Ignorance comes back. And we don't see that there's no point to clinging. In fact, our mind is telling us just the opposite. Cling. That'll make you happy. Cling. And so in those moments, when we see that the mind is caught, and yet we have seen it not be caught, there's an opportunity essentially to borrow wisdom from ourselves. You know, we can, we can borrow wisdom from our teachers, we can borrow wisdom from books to help us. You know, when we haven't had an understanding, we might just drop in, well, the teachers say it's all unreliable and impermanent and it'll change. Okay, maybe I can maybe I can hold that possibility. But when we've seen it for ourselves, there can be a, it, it can it can be easier in a way to borrow that understanding. Just to, to remind ourselves, yes, I do know. I do know that things are impermanent. The mind is deluded right now. It's not seeing things as impermanent. And yet this is impermanent. And so we can, we can drop in wisdom reflections at times, like phrases in our mind that sometimes can help us to balance. This is a way of using wisdom in the practice. And then there's the experience of wisdom. The actual wisdom operating in the moment, creating the conditions for some kind of release, some kind of understanding. You have all experienced this kind of wisdom. Even just the simple curiosity, as I said earlier, this curiosity about what is the human experience of this? What is this? That curiosity and that perspective of observing experience already contains wisdom. 
because our habit is, is not that. And so it, 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 it begins to shape the mind in a new way. So an object is just an object. Over and over again in the Satipatthana Sutta, it points to this kind of thing. When breathing in, one knows. One is breathing in. When experiencing aversion, one knows. One is experiencing aversion. When experiencing love, one knows one is experiencing love. Actually, that's not in the Satipatthana Sutta. (laughs) But non-aversion is in the Satipatthana Sutta. When experiencing non-aversion, one knows one is experiencing non-aversion. Just that simple recognition. This is the experience that's happening. This is a pointer. This is wisdom operating in the mind. When we are curious in this way, wisdom is is active. Now it doesn't feel like any big mind-blowing kind of wisdom but it grows, it, it accumulates. We also, we also might begin to notice a little bit more surprise around this simple understanding of, oh, this is an experience arising in the present moment. For instance, around a thought. Thoughts are so... so potently delusive. They contain such power to fool us into believing them that when we see a thought is just a thought and we recognize these thoughts that I'm thinking about the past, we wake up into this and we recognize, wow, I am not there. I'm not in that situation right now. I'm sitting in a meditation hall and breathing in and breathing out. And that is arising in the mind. That thought, that situation, it's it's like a bubble burst. We see that, that burst of the belief in the thought and recognize, oh, this is a thought of the past happening in the present moment. That kind of little bit of surprise or recognition, that's wisdom. That's wisdom at work opening our eyes to recognize that's not what's actually happening. That scenario or that content or that, that story. At one point I had a very powerful recognition of that, seeing of that kind of bursting of the bubble. I had been in a relationship for a very long time with with a person and a 10-year relationship. And we'd broken up several years before and I'd done a lot of work on the, the anger and the reactivity uh, about that person. And by this point, several years following, when the person, the, the thoughts arose about the person in my mind, I no longer was experiencing distress at all. There was no anger, no sadness, no confusion. Well, confusion, there was confusion. I'll tell you about this one. <laughs> but there wasn't that kind of, you know, when, when the thought would arise in my mind, there, there wasn't the, 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 there wasn't pain anymore. So the, 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 there, it was clear, it was clean. And yet one day I was walking down the street and I woke up from being lost in a thought and, and a thought about this person that I had been in, in relationship with. And in the moment of coming out of that, thought, I had been lost in it for a fair amount of time and basically the mind had constructed that I was back in that relationship. That I was, was, you know, what are we going to do next week and when are we going to go and what are we going to... And so it was like this whole world was born. I was born into that world. And then the bubble burst. It's like, what? Wait, wait, what? That's, it was two years ago. What? I'm not in relationship with that person anymore. What? So confusion. <laughs> and yet in that moment of seeing, it's like seeing just how, how much the mind had believed that thought. 
the bursting of that, that feeling of the, the clarity there, that is just a thought. That's wisdom. So sometimes, sometimes just seeing, oh, this is just an arising in the present moment is kind of like, wow, this is just an arising in the present moment. Oh my gosh. So it can have these gradations of, of, of intensity almost around this wisdom arising. And sometimes as that wisdom arises in the moment, there can, we can feel a kind of shift that happens. And so sometimes we might experience you know, this kind of recognition around a mind state that we're caught in. And notice, oh, this is, this is anger arising in the present moment. Instead of being caught by it, we recognize it as a phenomenon. It feels like there's space, a feeling of space around the experience. Oh, this is just anger. This is just impacting the body in this way, a feeling of heat and pressure. And oh, and here it's kind of beginning to disperse. So the first experience of the, the feeling of space, that too is wisdom at work, holding that state of mind in a completely different way no longer confused or buying into the deluded power of that mind state, but just noticing this is a mind state. This is wisdom at work in the mind. And then sometimes the, the wisdom is even stronger where it does, many of you have come in and described that, you know, caught by something, some state of mind, and then suddenly something, you know, kind of got, you kind of got curious about it, began to just observe it, and, and, and then it's like, it's gone. Where did it go? The first time I experienced that, I did not believe it. I, I thought I'd done something wrong, actually. I went into my teacher. I said, I don't know how do we observe emotions. That was what I, I led in with. I want some instructions on observing emotions. And she said, well, what did you experience? Wonderful teacher, Carol. What did you experience? Yes, you hear us asking this a lot. And I said, well, I was experiencing a feeling of, of abandonment. And at first I was feeling some compassion for myself about it, but then I got curious about the compassion. I mean, I got curious about the abandonment. And it's like I turned to say, what is this anyway? And it wasn't there. And she said, well, did it feel like you were still like feeling abandoned or did it just feel like it disappeared? I said, it it felt like it disappeared. She said, trust your experience. That was such a lesson for me. Like I had all of these ideas about practice and what it meant and the, 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 the curiosity of the mind like turning to look at something, basically that curiosity itself created the conditions for wisdom to hold that experience and it just vanished. It's like it, it didn't like just wither, it, it was gone. It's like I couldn't find it anywhere. I was like, oh wow, I feel pretty good right now. Oh, I guess I'll just go, you know, and it's like, but what happened to that abandonment? And I'll ask Carol about it. (laughs) I must not know how to observe emotions. Well, wisdom took care of it. That is wisdom at work. So when we see, when we turn towards experience and see a shift, maybe see a releasing, see something fade and wither and maybe even vanish, That is wisdom at work. We also start to see at times this conditioning process. I'm, I'm kind of revisiting all of the pieces of, or some of the pieces of wisdom uh, that I named at the beginning. You know, the, the seeing of suffering the understanding of it is suffering. Part of that, seeing it as suffering, is part of how and why wisdom begins to release it. 
Because wisdom understands what leads to well-being. So seeing, seeing causes and conditions at, at work, seeing how the mind is conditioned, how action follows from intention, we, we can start to see this. Maybe, maybe you're outside taking a walk and feel a kind of cold breeze on your cheek and feel the unpleasantness of that, but don't quite notice the unpleasantness. But then, and then you know, it's like, oh, that's unpleasant. I, I don't want to stop. I want to stop walking. And that kind of tumbles into the intention to go inside and have a cup of tea. When the mindfulness is, is kind of more continuous, you might actually see that unfolding. In a moment, kind of the plan, the intention in the direction of Oh, stop! Time to stop walking. Time to get a cup of tea. And you're, you're, you know, you barely are between one step and the next, and that has happened. If you've seen it, then you're seeing how conditioning unfolds in the mind. Often, what happens is we just simply, whoop, our direction changes. We go inside, and we, when we're not mindful, we will just follow through on that conditioning. So we can start to see the uh, conditioned nature of experience as a process rather than I'm doing that. Rather than I'm the one that's choosing. We see a choice is kind of conditioned, a choice is conditioned by a whole series of kind of ripple events leading up to it. And then there's another way that wisdom can work that's a little more, oh, it feels a little more mysterious at times. It, in, the, in the Satipatthana Sutta, it, it refers to, um, in the fourth foundation, uh, noticing the non-arising of the unarisen hindrance. What does that mean? (laughs) That we can notice the non-arising of the unarisen hindrance. Basically, this is, is kind of pointing to the fact that we can recognize, it's pointing in a way to recognizing that something is not arising, right? It's some, a hindrance is not arising. So it, it points, it, the, the first way we might start to see this is to notice the absence of the hindrance. And that's pointed to in the third foundation, noticing the presence and absence of greed, aversion, and delusion. And... Uh, and yet we can also begin to recognize more directly, in some ways, knowing the non-arising of the hindrance can be more of an understanding than it is a direct experience of knowing that the non-arising. There is a way that we can see a non-arising, and I'll, I'll describe an experience of my own where that happened. But much of the time, this understanding of the non-arising of uh, unwholesome states is uh, is more of an understanding than a direct experience, and so we can know, for instance, and and many of you have talked about this seeing over time. Wow, these things aren't bothering me so much anymore. You know, this this thing that happened happens. You know, I used to get so spun out about that, and now you know it's barely a ripple. So we're noticing that there's not that the reactivity is not arising, but it's more of an understanding in terms of contrast over time. So we can we can see that. At times we may see much more directly um, kind of the mind heading in the direction of a defilement, heading in the direction of, a, of reactivity. 
And then almost as if, you know how when you reach out and accidentally touch a hot pan on the stove, your body withdraws on its own? Well, sometimes that kind of thing happens in the mind too. The more we understand that, uh, for instance, anger is suffering, that is not well-being, the more we understand that actually in our direct experience, then we may start to recognize um, kind of the mind heading in the direction of some kind of reactivity, and the mind in seeing that may just go, oh, I don't think so. And just like redirect. And so at one point after having spent quite a bit of time observing anger, getting to, to know it really well, getting to know the suffering of it, at one point I was cutting an apple in my kitchen. And uh, in, that, in that moment of cutting the apple, there were a number of things. And I wasn't really trying to be mindful. I think there was just a kind of a, a field of continuity that I had cultivated over, over some time of my practice. And this was, this was not very long into my practice. And so this kind of thing can happen in daily life it was you know maybe 3 months into my into my practice i had been using a lot of mindfulness in daily life and so this was a and and orienting around seeing anger so you know noticing it when it arises so i was cutting this apple and i saw a thought ari- arise in my mind about the person i was angry with i noticed that there was a connection in the in the thought because i was at a fruit stand with that person And so there's a connection between what I was doing, cutting the apple and the memory. So seeing the associative nature, the conditioned, I saw the conditioned nature of that. So that was wisdom, seeing that conditioned nature. And then I saw this like urge, this impulse. It felt like this this freight train of, of, of desire to jump on that thought and think more thoughts in order to get angry at that person. I was not angry in that moment. But that urge was so strong, yet it was seen. That, that desire to get angry, and again, this all took place in about a split second. The mind recognized, ooh, that's not a good idea. You know, I didn't decide that. The mind understood that way lies suffering. There was wisdom in the mind that understood jumping on that freight train, not a good idea. The mind just said, no, not going to do that. It just, just kind of collapsed, that urge. Just, poof. And I stood there with this knife in my hand, <laughs> waiting to get angry. Because I had not had this person arise in my mind and anger not arise in my mind. And I did not get angry. Now, that might have had a certain life in terms of, you know, it it was maybe a couple seconds that I didn't get angry. And, uh, but what happened in the next moment was just kind of like mind-blowing. Oh my gosh, this practice works. Wow! And so that took over the mind. You know, that kind of amazement of the practice took over my mind. Now, at this point, you know, I, I have less of that kind of mind-blowing kind of amazement sometimes. It's just, so my sense is, you know, it might be that you get a little break from that anger and then it's like, and then, and then it's like, the thoughts keep going and then it'll pick one of them up. And then anger will arise. I've seen that happen too. But in that moment, this was really, I think it was really my first, this was the, that was the moment I stepped on the path. I was like, yeah, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. This is good stuff. <laughs> that is wisdom at work. 
the seeing of that. And this is the seeing. In that case, it was really seeing that anger didn't arise. That was the gift of that moment. I had been so... I, was, I had been made non-functional by the arising of anger. And to see that it didn't have to arise, what a gift. Well, this too is wisdom. Wisdom at work. So these moments of seeing wisdom at work, hopefully my description of various ways that th- you can see this will help you recognize, oh yeah, wisdom's working. Wisdom is growing Wisdom is being cultivated here in this mind. All of you are already cultivating so much wisdom. And these moments of seeing, they're a pointer. You know, the moments of the sense of, oh, a little release. I can be with this. This is just whatever it is. Or the moments when we see something let go, or see the mind just go, yeah, that way lies suffering. These moments are a pointer. They are a kind of a, 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 they're a taste, a little taste of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. A little tiny taste of the direction of freedom. Just a taste. And these insights too, you know, the wisdom that arises in that moment to create the conditions for seeing in that moment. Wisdom too is a conditioned arising. It is impermanent. The conditions to see through something understand something, you know, that experience of, wow, this seems so obvious. How could I not see this? I must be enlightened because it's just so obvious. I'm never going to suffer again. (laughs) And then like, you know, a few minutes later, we're caught again. It's like, wow, I guess it wasn't so obvious. (laughs) When we're in the midst of, of that wisdom being there, it seems very clear. It can seem so clear at times. And yet, I pointed to in the delusion talk, I think, you know, those moments of seeing through delusion, really in a way this talk is the flip side of the delusion talk. Because those moments of, of wisdom arising are moments of seeing through delusion, of seeing clearly in a moment. And when delusion, when delusion returns, when the wisdom passes away, it's not that there is a kind of a lingering effect that wisdom has a conditioning power on our minds we understand something that we didn't before. And so now we can know, oh, this is delusion. This being caught by this mind state. Oh, maybe this is, this is just a thought. A thought is creating this state of mind. Having seen maybe a thought just kind of being the kind of trigger for the arising of a whole complex of self-hatred. In that moment, seeing through it, but then not seeing through it at other times, we can bring that wisdom in, remind ourselves, oh, this is just a thought. So there's a way in which that wisdom is available to be borrowed from ourselves, even as it's not actively present in the moment. So there's a kind of a a trust that begins to grow as we begin to recognize wisdom 
how it works. And that it leads us in the direction of well-being and, and towards letting go of the, the states of mind that create so much struggle and suffering and stress. We begin to trust this practice more and more. And so it's kind of a spiraling, we get a little taste of wisdom and a little bit more trust grows. And that impels us to work, to explore, to investigate. Sometimes that means settling back and just receiving. But we, we, we gain some wisdom, some understanding, and, and that impels us further on the path deepens our understanding, which gives us more trust, which gives us more understanding. And so there is this kind of spiraling nature of the unfolding of the path and it becomes very organic at some point. And we can begin to trust wisdom to lead the practice. So let's sit for just a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.